The Old Testament reading for this, the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the book of Numbers, the 11th chapter. Now the rabble that was among the children of Israel had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is the word of the Lord. He will command his angels concerning you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The epistle reading comes from the letter of St. James, the fifth chapter. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. 
Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Mark, the ninth chapter. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves, and be at peace with one another. And this is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The checkout clerk was cordial, downright friendly even. She was asking all the normal questions. Did you find everything you were looking for? Do you want your milk in a bag? How's the weather out there? And then she asked the question that isn't really normal, unless I happen to be wearing my collar at the time. So, are you a priest? Lutheran pastor, actually, I said. 
and a smile burst across her face as she said, That's so cool! I'm a Lutheran. And we chatted a little bit about the church and whatnot, and everything was going very, very well. And then I mentioned the Missouri Synod. And all of a sudden, her face fell, the smile disappeared, and she said, Oh, you're that Lutheran. The strict ones. The ones nobody likes. The ones who don't do anything with anyone else. Now I'm guessing most of you have heard something similar to that before. As Missouri Synod Lutherans, we are accused of being elitist, separatistic, overly strict, dogmatic, snobby, exclusive, unwelcoming, uncooperative sticks in the mud. We're the church that people think they can't go to unless they were born into it. We don't endorse women's ordination. We have a reputation among outsiders for looking down our noses on others, thinking we're better than everyone, and closing ourselves off to other denominations. We practice closed communion, and we don't take communion at other churches. Our pastors don't take part in community worship services or baccalaureate programs where other denominations will be participating. Even at funerals and weddings, we insist that only LCMS pastors take part in the service. Have you ever wondered why all that is? As you heard today's readings, did you think about that stuff at all? I mean, look at both the Old Testament and the Gospel readings for today. In Numbers, all the chosen elders are supposed to go to the tent of meeting, and there the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them, and they begin to prophesy, that is, to speak the word of God. But Eldad and Medad, who were supposed to go, stayed in the camp for some reason. But instead of being excluded, they too prophesied. And upon hearing this, Joshua is incensed. He says to Moses, Hey, we need to go stop them. They aren't here the way that they're supposed to be. They're not doing it right. They need to be silenced. But Moses says, Are you jealous for my sake? As if they're taking something away from me? He says, I wish everyone was a prophet and would speak the word of God like they are. And then we have our gospel reading from Mark where John says to Jesus, Teacher, we saw some guy casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. And Jesus responds, Don't. Don't stop him because anyone who does a mighty deed in my name can't speak evil of me soon afterward. The one who is not against us is for us. Now, when we hear these accounts, doesn't it seem a little bit convicting, dear Lutherans? I mean, Joshua and John kind of sound like the classic LCMS guys, don't they? Hey, you're not a part of our group, so you shouldn't be doing that. You need to stop it, and we're not going to have anything to do with you. And then it kind of sounds like Moses and Jesus really put the Missouri Synod in its place by saying, why would we stop them? The one who is not against us is for us. They're doing God's work, so let them be and quit being so uptight about it all. So are we wrong? 
Is our practice of not participating in public worship with other denominations against the word of God? Are we going against both Moses and Jesus by not taking part in church services with other denominations? Well, many, many people have used these exact passages to challenge our practice. And at a glance, it sure might seem that we are totally in the wrong. But what happens if we actually take more than just a casual glance at God's word? What was it that Eldad and Medad were doing in the camp? They were prophesying, speaking God's word to the people, just as all the other elders and Moses were doing. They were doing the right thing, just in a different way and a different location. What was it that the unnamed person that the disciples tried to stop was doing? Well, he was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They, too, were doing the right thing, just in a different location and with a different group of people. Now, if Eldad and Medad had been proclaiming lies in God's name, do you think Moses would have been so nonchalant about it? If the guy had been casting out demons in his own name or in the name of Baal, do you think that Jesus would have admonished John and said, let him be? Of course not. All throughout the Bible, those who seek to pervert God's word and twist it, even when claiming to speak for God, they are admonished, they are chastised, they are even struck down by God. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, whoever does something that looks good, let them do it. He says, no one who does a mighty work in my name. And that doesn't just mean that slapping Jesus' name on anything automatically makes it right. Did you notice where Jesus takes the conversation immediately? Some people like to stop with Jesus telling John to let the guy be, and they leave us with this notion that Jesus is this hippy-dippy peacenik going, oh, come on, man, can't we all just get along? And they say that we all need to lighten up and cooperate and sing more kumbaya together. But that is not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus continues the discussion by talking about the grave danger of sin. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones, that is, anyone who believes in him, to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Once you hear the rest of what Jesus has to say, you suddenly realize that this isn't just about getting along and being friendly to people. God takes his word, his teachings, his doctrine very, very seriously. And that's why we do too. 
As Missouri Synod Lutherans, we care about the pure truth of Scripture. When other church bodies actively deny God's word, we don't pretend that that's okay. We distance ourselves from them. We make it clear that such things are wrong. When others who claim to be speaking God's word tell people that sin is just fine, that they can do whatever they want as long as it makes them feel good, we will not tacitly endorse that heresy by standing side by side with them and saying, yeah, you know, we'll agree to disagree. When a denomination says that the Bible isn't really God's word, that it's up to us to decide right and wrong, that Jesus isn't actually the Son of God, or that our sinful world knows better than God what we should be doing, they are not simply doing things a little bit different from us. They are opposing God. They are calling God a liar. They are substituting the sinful, selfish, self-gratifying word of man for God's perfect word of wisdom and righteousness. And that is wrong. Now, before you get the wrong idea, I am not in any way saying that anyone who is a member of a church other than the Missouri Synod is not a Christian. That is simply not true. You don't need to be a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to get into heaven. You need faith in Jesus Christ. There are many, many people who truly believe God's word despite what their church body's doctrine actually says and proclaims. But when you hear those lies over and over and over, it makes it so much easier to believe them. When you hear God's word twisted and doubted and denigrated so regularly, it makes every single day even more of a struggle to remain in the one true faith. And when a church body officially and publicly endorses such false teachings and sin, we should not remain silent and leave our brothers and sisters in Christ to suffer and be led astray. We don't condemn the people. We condemn the false teachings. We take sin seriously because Jesus himself does. We admonish and we seek to correct and teach those who are in error. We will not give the impression that we're cool with God's word just being tossed aside and, hey, that's just one of those things we don't agree on. Yes, I would like more than anything to be able to stand side by side with any pastor in our community and proclaim God's word. But I want to do that in godly truth, not man-made lies. I am not willing to set everything aside and say, oh, let's just agree to disagree. We both speak the name Jesus, right? So that's cool. That's not agreement or unity. That's a lie. It's a false pretext. I want real unity. Not a fake smile where we pretend we're all saying the same thing when we are so clearly not. And I am not claiming that I or the Missouri Synod are perfect. Where we are in error... We earnestly pray that others would teach and correct us. Not from a worldly point of view, not by the teachings of man, but from God's holy, infallible word. Because that's the only standard that matters. The only standard that isn't changing by the minute. 
If we throw that out, as so many do, we lose everything. God's word is not something that we as sinners always agree with, which is why so many denominations, so many Christians, seek to undermine it. His word tells us that we are sinners, that we are corrupted to the very core, that there is no good at all within us. His word shows us that the things we want to do, the things we love to do, are often sinful, unclean, and displeasing to him. Greed, lust, gluttony, coveting, selfishness, anger, envy, jealousy, all the things that come so naturally to us, all the things that our culture says are good and right, all the things that we really want to do, these are sins that God's word calls us to fight against. His word tells us that on our own, we are blind, dead, and enemies of God, unable to enter into heaven, undeserving of anything but wrath and condemnation from his holy, almighty hand. This, and so much more of God's word, doesn't fit with what we want to hear, doesn't always make sense, doesn't seem like something worth holding on to. This is why so many church bodies in our world today have cast God's word aside and tried to substitute something more palatable, more logical, more comforting, more worldly. And if that was all that God's word told us, I mean, who could blame them? Because if God only pointed out our flaws and shortcomings, we would have no hope whatsoever. But God's word is so much more than just his crushing law that shows us our sin. His word is also the sweet, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are sinners who deserve only the unquenchable fires of hell. And yes, our sinful actions bring about painful consequences. But instead of fully getting what we deserve, we are given mercy and forgiveness and peace. Not by anything that we do, but by what God has done for us. The Bible doesn't just tell us to stop sinning because we can't do that well enough to make a difference. Instead, his word tells us that he himself came to us in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, to be our Redeemer. He came not to show us how to behave better and earn heaven, but to take upon himself all of our sin and filth and wretchedness, to stand in our place beneath his own perfect and holy law. Jesus Christ is not just a good moral teacher, not just a guy who's going to make us feel better about ourselves. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He took it all upon himself, even though he never once sinned. Every wrongdoing, every transgression, every thoughtless word, every hurt that you have caused anyone, all of it was laid on Jesus. And then in an act of love that is so far beyond our understanding, Jesus Christ gave himself over to death on the cross to pay that penalty. He died for you, for each and every one of you. His perfect holy life was the only sacrifice good enough to pay for all of your sin. And he willingly suffered and died in your place to spare you from sin, death, and the devil. Jesus Christ 
God himself in our flesh was crucified, died, and was buried so that you could be forgiven of all of your sin. And then, in the most glorious of victories, on the third day he rose again from the dead. Not just for his own sake, but again for you. Giving you his resurrection victory. Giving you not just hope, but the absolute guarantee of life everlasting with him in heaven. He crushed the serpent's head. He took away all of your sin. He broke the chains of death for all those who look to him in faith. He won the victory that we never could. And he gives you his eternal kingdom. All who believe in him will live even though they die. This is what God's word tells us. This is the message that God so boldly proclaims through his holy word to all generations. Why would we want to cast that away? Why would we want to change it to fit our pathetic world? Why would we tolerate people saying that it says anything less than the full counsel of God, the full forgiveness of all of our sins? Why would we want anyone to think that our teachings are anything other than what God himself has told us? God's word is true and it is certain and it does not change to fit our culture. It is not something that we will toss aside in order to appear to be more friendly or more community-minded. It is the only thing we have in this world that will not fail or disappoint us. We will not give it up. We will not give the impression that it doesn't matter, and we will not cease to share that good news in its purity with all those around us, because that glorious word of God is for all mankind. Outside of that word, there is no salvation or forgiveness, no matter how open and accepting you might claim your version of it to be. But in God's word, the full truth of that word as he proclaimed it from generation to generation We sinners are given by the Holy Spirit the full and complete forgiveness of our loving Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ alone. Moses and Jesus, they were not saying that we should just let everyone do whatever they want in the name of God and pretend to go along with it. No, far from it. They were saying that unity comes only in the purity of God's Holy Word, in doing what God commands. Setting God's word aside, it might make us seem more friendly. It might let us do more things in the community. It might make people stop calling us all those names. But at what cost? What good does it do us or anyone in this world to just proclaim what the sinful world around us is already telling everyone? Man's word, that changes by the minute, and it leads only to sin and eternal death. But the eternal inerrant, unchanging word of God, that alone can save. So no, we don't stand side by side with those who deny God's word. We don't participate in public worship with those who have turned from scripture and God's truth. But we pray for them. We seek to teach them. And we reach out for real unity based on the unchanging truth of scripture alone. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, It's not perfect, but God's word is. And so we strive above all else to be faithful to that word, even when it contradicts our hearts 
even when it isn't popular, even when it makes us look like stubborn old fuddy-duddies. Because that word alone never changes, never fails, never disappoints. From the beginning of time until now and throughout all eternity, the word of the Lord endures forever. And it is the one and only thing that we can truly trust in. We will not swerve, for that word alone is what delivers to us the glorious eternal truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That by his cross alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.